Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. Hey, hey, everybody. We're back, of course, with another episode. Happy Thursday to everyone. If you've been following along with the show, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. And I am very lucky to have Mr. Jonathan Cohen on the show. So, Jonathan, thanks so much for being here, man. Ethan, awesome. Happy Friday to you. Super excited to be with you and appreciate everything you do. Yeah, cheers, man. So we just love to get the show started with a little background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> boy so how long do we have for that um, um let's give it as long as you want <laughs> I'm only kidding you. no super super grateful to to be with you as i said and and yeah hopefully something i say is is going to be um somewhat comprehensible so yeah my, my name is jonathan cohen i'm currently the the director of the climate initiatives department for the city of boulder um and i you know as we were talking just a few moments ago i've been with the city since 2006 and it's been really a a very interesting kind of evolution both in my own personal career but more in the trajectory of the work that we're doing at the local level particularly with the city um so when i started i was hired as the environmental manager for the city and you know that was really to oversee a lot of the things that we all assume fall into that environmental bucket. So we had just passed our climate action plan, and we were just rolling out our our climate action plan tax, which is our kind of self-imposed tax to fund all of our climate strategies. But then things like integrated pest management and mosquito control and urban wildlife and waste reduction. And so you know that was a really kind of cool experience that helped do a little bit of level setting about what are the right things to do at the local level, what's the role of local government, and it'll be a theme I think that comes up a lot in our conversation today, but awesome. um, I guess the biggest pivot point for me was around 2010 and I uh, was was asked to to lead a lot of the city's municipalization effort, um, which you know really dominated a lot of our energy space, um, both figuratively and literally, um, over the past decade or so, leading up to last year's last November's vote um, on the Excel franchise. And we can dig into that a little bit deeper as we as we go. We yeah, cool. Thank 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 you for that. So yeah, just just to begin the show, I wanted to ask. Um, what caused you to kind of have this focus on climate work and policy? What's the reasoning behind your kind of emphasis? <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's that's an interesting like necessity. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's a bit of an insightful question. Um, I, I, like I would say, um, you know, each of us on our career paths, I think, find some some real joy in the journey, so to speak. And I was more of an activist when I was younger. I was, um, my background is, is totally varied. I actually worked with marine mammals. I was, I'm a biologist by training. So I was working with, with marine mammals, lumpkin pilot whales and dolphins and thought this is the direction that I'm going in. Where are you and from? So I'm actually from Illinois, but I was working in South Florida on the Florida Keys. Um, awesome. But, you know, as we all are exposed to things in, in our lives, they, they nudge us into di- different trajectories. And, and for me, it, it, I ended up moving to Flagstaff, Arizona, um, and was more um, working in the outdoor industry, it was rowing boats down the Grand Canyon, and, and became acutely aware of some of the things that were happening in my hometown in Flagstaff. And as an activist, I think we are a bit reactionary and worked to form an organization that really supported young people getting involved in in the local government process because there are processes that kind of lead up to key decisions and 
So that nonprofit was really focused on volunteerism, really improving um, you know, our local community, uh, building private ownership and, and mostly in the environmental space. And the, the reason I'm sharing this with you is that I, I never saw myself as someone who would work for local government, but I realized that local government is a really unique um, space. We are, we're big enough to, to make a meaningful difference, but we're small enough to generally be fairly flexible. And it's the one place that we interface with values. So if you think about federal government, well, certainly they're, they're not necessarily connecting with individual values, certainly not at the state level, but mm -hmm. local government is the place that we are responsive to the values of our community. And I think that's a really cool place to really insert some of the, the work that we're trying to do, particularly around environment and sustainability and resilience and equity. These are all values that are really critical to each and every one of us. And then how do we as local government kind of show up in that space? Yeah, and I love the values that Boulder represents. And I didn't even realize when I decided to move back into my next topic is asking you why you moved to Boulder. But I didn't realize when I moved back here how strong these values really do connect with who I am as a person. It's almost like I, I knew it without even thinking it, if that makes sense. That's kind of why I'm here and why I'm building my business in Boulder, Colorado. But you mentioned the term, did you say primate ownership? Is that right? What did I say? Um, I don't think I made, did I use that uh, word? <laughs> no worries. I don't, I don't even, I just didn't know what that meant. No, no, no worries at all. So, so what, 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 how did you end up in Boulder? What brought you to this area? I think we kind of hinted at a little bit. Well, yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, um, I guess following the bouncing ball of, of the work that I was doing in Flagstaff. So I was, um, asked to kind of build up a sustainability program in Flagstaff. Uh, and, and I did, and I was really proud of the work that we did kind of moving from a volunteer driven organization to have, actually having a department within local government in Flagstaff. And we, that resulted in Flagstaff having the first um, curbside recycling program in the state and really started to take a look at some of the, the big issues um, that that community has been facing. And so, as I was building up that program, you always kind of look to who are the leaders out there? Um, and why? Because it's really important that we're able to replicate and scale the, the solutions that we are creating at the local level. And so Boulder has always been um, on that map, right? There are a handful of communities that are incredibly progressive, not just in terms of their kind of political acumen, but more the programs and services that they are offering, really understanding the role of local government in this space. And so I was just so deeply fortunate to, to um, be asked to apply for that environmental affairs manager position in 2006, and even um, more honored to have um, been offered the position. And so I, I moved here to Boulder in 2006 and, and started my tenure with the city of Boulder. Yeah. And I bet it was an awesome tenure. We'll definitely talk about it. So I, I, as far as I was aware, I thought you were the chief sustainability resilience officer, but now you're saying you're the director of climate initiatives now. Oh yeah. Sorry about that whiplash. Um, oh, no, it's all good. So, all good. Moving up, yeah. man. That's as, as we do. No, it's, it's okay. So yeah. Uh, about a year ago, um, I took over the role of the chief sustainability and resilience officer. Um, and that was really based on the fact that I felt a strong need to really prioritize some of those key elements like resilience in the work that we were doing. Um, 
and my role within municipalization was was shifting a little bit more in terms of how we were developing a, a, a partnership framework with Excel Energy, which we'll mm-hmm. get back to, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, about, I'll just give you this little backstory here, about two years ago, you know, the, the, the various people working on climate and sustainability within the city of Boulder have been, it's been kind of an evolution over the past decade. And we've had a local environmental action division, which kind of is our program delivery group. And we had our municipalization group and we're starting to mature some other groups around our ecosystems management um, and around our zero waste and circular economy group. And we, we brought all of those groups together under one, I guess, general umbrella in, uh, I would say 2019. And at that time, um, the director of the utility development or municipalization um, was was appointed to kind of head up the entire department, though his tenure was really predicated on municipalization and creating a new local electric utility, and then we would make some decisions. So his tenure with the city ended um, at the end of 2020. And so I was asked to take over as the director of the climate initiatives department, which is essentially the department that encompasses all of the things that I've already been talking about. So our, our various systems level work, our energy systems, which includes um, mobility, but not, not the transportation department necessarily, but more around the electrification and decarbonization of our transportation sector, uh, looking at our electricity, and that's first and foremost, our partnership with Excel, our local codes issues, and how we are decarbonizing our energy supply, and looking at the, the um, use side of things in terms of demand side management, energy efficiency, energy reductions. And then ecosystems management, financial systems, circular economy. Um, so all of the things kind of fall into our department under climate initiatives. So I, I was, I'm sorry for the confusion with the title, though. You no know, worries, it, man. It's just a title. Well, it's a lot. Yeah, fair enough. We all have these titles and we're all just people underneath. But there's all this confusing energy government stuff going on. What, what you, just, you mentioned earlier before we got on the podcast, you've been having this busy week. I can, I can obviously see why. There's so many moving parts, so much going on, so much work we have to get done. I'm curious what your day-to-day work actually looks like at the Department of Climate Initiatives as director. Oh, boy. Um, well, there's a big question. You know, I, I'll answer it is it's full of them. Is clearly all right. As clear as I can. So part of part of the excitement about the work that we're doing right now as a department is really um, recalibrating our role within our community. And what I mean by that is, in 2019, I'm, I'm starting with kind of a very high level overview, and I'll kind of answer your question hopefully as we go. Um, no pressure. We had a, a conversation with our community um, back in 2019 where we were really reflecting on what we have learned over the past, say, decade or even more of of working in this climate space. And there's some really key insights and learnings um, if if we allow ourselves to, to learn from it. And that is, we really need to think about the role that individuals play and what is, you know, how individual actions roll up to collective actions. And then ultimately how we change the big systems that are necessary to avoid climate catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And so the reality then becomes, how can we as one jurisdiction, as one city in a department, how can we affect the change that is necessary to, to uh, kind of deal with this climate crisis? And, 
you know, there is a lot of inertia that we have been fighting against, which is, you know, if we can just get everybody to act, right? If you change your light bulbs, Ethan, then maybe your neighbor will change their light bulbs. And then, then the person next door to them or their friend will change your light bulbs. But the reality is the, the pace that is necessary to avoid climate catastrophe, um, it, we're, we're getting outpaced essentially. Ludicrous yeah. speed. Yeah, right. So <laughs> it causes us to really rethink what it is we are doing and to recognize the shifts that have happened. I mean, you can't go, Ethan, to Home Depot and get an incandescent, inefficient light bulb. I mean, the reality is, is the market has responded. And mostly that's because of the demands of us as consumers. So that's success. The other learning is how can we be more comfortable working outside our boundaries? It isn't about one city getting to 100% renewable electricity, unless we are exporting the learnings and the blueprint on how to do that. We mm -hmm. are one city. Now, I'm, I'm not falling into the trap of, well, we shouldn't do anything. What I'm suggesting is we need to, to craft and cultivate new creative partnerships. So one of the things we've been working on and part of my role has been on the policy side of things. So developing coalitions where we are actually going to the state capital and we are advocating for climate policies that uh, enable cities to do more and to kind of connect back to those local values. The other learning is that uh, over a decade or more of doing this work at the local government level, we've kind of created this space where local government's at the center of the work. And I will tell you, there are things that local governments are good at, and there are things that we just suck at. So why mm -hmm. should we try to do everything? And instead, how Any can examples? we be more of a facilitator? Well, so should we be the, the, the ones who are going out and engaging um, the community members? We're not always the trusted voice. And I, I think mm -hmm. that's a completely fair um, response. I see, so I see. why shouldn't we be working in supporting organizations? For example, Boulder Housing Partners, who is, you know, they are the ones that can be working with our our low-income residents and developing the solutions that work best for them. Uh, working with the Flows group out of CU Boulder, where they are going out and working on energy efficiency, um, water efficiency programs in communities of color and, and non-English speaking residents. Is that something the city should be doing and going and saying, we're the government, we're here to help? No, but we can support these organizations with funding, with direction and creating a network uh, of services and programs. I'll, I'll just stay on this point a little bit longer and say, sometimes we don't do a very good job of allowing people to show up in the climate space. The thought is you have to be a, a climate expert, a climate scientist, or an energy expert to do anything meaningful on climate. But you know what? I think that is such the wrong message. We have artists, Definitely. we have mm -hmm. poets, we have athletes who are all contributing to climate action but we don't recognize it that way. And we don't create a network in which they can see themselves in this overall locally based climate action. So I share all this with you when you said, what does your week look like? It's incredibly dynamic. Um, as a department, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's incredible. I, I have the best job. I am so fortunate. And the team that I am able to work with within the city of Boulder is extraordinary. These are the best of the best. Um, and our community should be incredibly proud of the work that we are doing. And the things I'm talking about now in terms of the role of local government and recalibrating our work is very, very provocative. We are part of networks like the Urban Sustainability Directness Network, Carbon, city, uh, Carbon Neutral Cities Alliance, um, we help stand up CC4CA, which is a statewide policy coalition on climate. 
we, we are part of international coalitions. And what I'm sharing with you in terms of this narrative about the role of local jurisdictions um, is just starting to emerge in other locations. And we've been doing some deep thinking on this for a while. So our week is really around delivering our programs and services, doing a lot of recalibration about what we should be doing around our CMAP, which is our Climate Mobilization Action Plan. Um, and a big part of our work right now is standing up our new partnership with Excel Energy um, on, the, on the electricity and natural gas side, just to make sure we are making incredibly good progress there. That's what our voters, that's what our community expects. Okay. God, I love this podcast. Thank you so much for being here, man. Um, it's so much, you can learn so much from one conversation. Um, one realm I noticed you left out of that whole talk though is, is businesses. So how do you think the city can support businesses that are dedicated to the same goals as the Department of Climate Initiatives or other like affordable housing type government programs? How can the city support actual corporations or small businesses? Yeah, no, it's it's a really good question. I feel like we have a very deep and, and healthy relationship with our business community uh, in, in many ways. Something that you just said, I think, is critically important. As, as we start to mature uh, our literacy on the issue of climate, sometimes we we tend to think that it's only a residential um, trajectory and that businesses are just you know, they're kind of in the periphery. But the reality is so many businesses have done such good work in the space around climate. You know, mm -hmm. take, take energy as an example. I think the tendency in the past has been to suggest that the way we measure our progress um, is in overall greenhouse gas emissions, right? That's the metric. Um, Simple. I, I, yeah, but let me, let me ask yeah, you. Yeah, have you ever seen or tasted or felt um, a metric ton of carbon? No. no. Um, is talking about numbers of metric tons, is that inspiring to you? Sorry, I'm not putting you on the spot. No, put me, put me on the spot. Go for it. Yeah. So if I said, hey, um, we need you, we, our community needs to reduce our metric tons of carbon by 2,000 tons. Does that mean anything to you versus 20,000 tons or 200,000 tons? Does it mean anything to you? Or if I said, hey, we want to support you in making your business flourish. We want to make sure that lives uh, are, are made better in our community, that people are happier, healthier, more economically productive. Um, those are things that resonate, I believe. Yeah. And the role of local government, I'm gonna kind of tie this back into your question about local businesses here shortly, is I think the traditional role of local government has been, uh, well, you, you lock up bad guys, you put out fires, you fill potholes. But the reality is public safety, um, looking at the future threats, to which climate change is, is something we need to be focused on. That is our role and responsibility. And I think that's really exciting then. So as we turn to think about businesses who are so critical in terms of being the economic engine of our communities, uh, think about the energy space. I wanna tie this back where our, our current thinking or our previous thinking had been, the way we measure our success is reducing consumption of electricity. Right. So. If you follow that theory, and I'm sorry I'm talking so much, by the way. No, I'm, I'm loving it, man. Please keep going. Okay. This is, it's, I re-listen to them. I learn so much every week. Just please. You're amazing. Well, I, I just kind of go on these rants, and I apologize. Oh. But nonetheless, I'm going to keep going. Uh, 
So <laughs> if you if you think about the fact that if one city gauges its success around climate by something like energy efficiency or kilowatt hours consumed, well, it leads you down a path that I think is totally inequitable. So that suggests okay. that if a company, I will just use like Ball Aerospace as an example, not not because they mean anything in this conversation, but they they're are, around town. Yep, and they're a larger energy consumer. And someone like Ball, who is a great employer, they want to grow their business, which means they're going to use more electricity uh, moving forward. If they, as a company, picked up and say moved to unincorporated county or they moved to Westminster. We look at our greenhouse gas inventory and we say, oh, consumption of electricity went way down. So, yay, we win. That's success, right? Well, if you, look at the ma- if you look at the macro view, Ethan, let's say that Ball just moved to a mu- into a much less efficient building. Mm-hmm. And so the net impact is they are using more electricity. It's just being calculated in, and by another community. So to me, that's not success. And businesses are the ones that have been doing great work in terms of uh, thinking about energy managers that they have on site and looking at the productivity. And I want to use that word instead of energy efficiency, we should be talking about energy productivity. Are we keeping as much productivity out of each kilowatt hour that's being consumed? That's where the city can, I think, support businesses. I, I am so impressed by the work that has gone on uh, under the leadership of our Chamber of Commerce. We have businesses who are doing incredible work um, and we wanna continue to support them. I think they are a vital component of our ability um, to address climate both here locally and and at at a global scale. Fair enough. And Jonathan, I love hearing you speak, man. It really gets me thinking in a way that I, I haven't before today. And that's really what I love about talking to so many different people. And Basically, all the only thing I can respond is I'm not sure if that was a rhetorical question or not, but um, I did actually, I, you're talking to the climate change realtor. So I, I am very like metrics focused and I have this idea that if I sell this many houses, I can donate this much money and have this much impact. So if you told me if I donated a million dollars, we'd get rid of one gigaton of carbon, you know, I would just kind of get after it. But I, that's enough on, on business, I think. And that was, that was a very well, well thought out response. And I have to think about that more. Um, I guess... I wanted to ask you as far as more like residential, like individual living, how, how, cause I know you did a presentation about how to build a, a smart city in Boulder. I just wanted to see if we could talk about that a bit, like what would an eat an ideal Boulder look like? I know there's this um, goose Creek community, something like lots of people have different ideas on the way the city should be built. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on this or built up or we should be, we shouldn't be growing anymore. There's so many different oh. opinions thrown about. Oh boy, you're going to throw that one at me. I, yeah, how long ago was that? Well, so there's a couple of things embedded in your question, and I'm going to limp my way through this uh, question specifically because it, it, you know, there are multiple ways to define what is a smart city. Um, mm-hmm. I think their traditional approach is it has to do with the internet of things and our ability to utilize technology to make lives better. I think that's okay. where um, a lot of communities have gone. Some, you know, a community that's very connected, uh, a community that is utilizing technology to address some of the bigger issues like um, equity, for example, or resilience. Okay. Um, I think that's a, 
it's a bit of a challenge, but I think it's a nice compass heading, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this, I come at this because about a decade ago, there was a big conversation that we were having in Boulder about the smart grid and how do you use our electricity distribution system to um, kind of solve problems. Uh, but oftentimes we overlook the problems that it creates. Um, as we are solving some, we are creating others. And, you know, I'll, I'll use this as one specific example. I think, you know, we often try to problem solve things like, um, uh, well, let me just, let me say, I, I think that there is um, an, an emerging conversation around equity that is, is really front and center here. For example, um, everyone needs the ability to communicate. Um, everyone should have the ability to charge devices. So um, what about our, our homeless population, right? So I think there has been a challenge over the past many years that our public outlets are being used for charging or people to plug in laptops and charge. And rather than say, let's just lock those up, why don't we think about a way as a city to develop some like solar charging and put charging in locations that people can in fact charge up the devices so they can stay connected. That, that is a very micro view. That's just one example yeah. of many. But I think um, the idea of, of developing a smart city I just want to be very cautious about because technology um, is one tool. Um, I am really eager and excited about really leaning into this space of equity and resilience. Um, and those are very broad topics, but the reality is we need to have community conversations um, about what an equitable system looks like, mm-hmm. doing a bit of a equity scan around what is inequitable about our current system. Um, the programs, the services, issues related to mobility, issues related to housing, issues related to our ecosystems. What is, in, in, what is inequitable about those systems? So we, we train ourselves to identify those things moving forward. We tend to just kind of say, oh, well, let's use a, the latest technology to solve our problems. Let's just change the way we're thinking altogether without really reflecting on how did we get to where we are and how do we not repeat some of the the learning, I guess, along the way um, that perhaps led us down a wrong path and maybe make mistakes. I mean, that is the whole idea of iteration. That is the whole, I guess, idea of emergent learning that you're able to reflect and, and learn from mistakes that you made. And that's, I think, one of the challenges with Boulder is that we like to say that we are incredibly progressive. Mm-hmm. I think that we are, but there is certainly a level of conservatism here too. Um, sure. And I think that's what we're seeing play out in issues related to housing and land use policies and some some regard to transportation policies. Um, These are big sticky issues, but sometimes we lose perspective that we are all incredibly fortunate. Um, We live in a magnificent community. Um, And I think being able to all as as a community, make sure that no one's getting left behind, that all voices have an opportunity to be heard, and we craft solutions that work for everybody is what is most important to me. And to me, that's how I define a smart city. Yeah, I I love that. And I think it's great um, to have different opinions and different voices. I think if everyone kind of thought the same way, you know, we wouldn't come up with these new and more creative ideas. I wanted to 
ask a little bit, how, how do you define equity in, in your mind? Because is, I mean, is it more of like everyone starts in the same place or everyone kind of ends in the same place? Because it would seem to me like um, Americans don't want to be to be equal. They want to compete with each other and be number one or be number two or be better than that person this year. So I just wanted to get your thoughts a little bit more on this equity topic. Yeah, it, it's a gray one. And I would start by saying that in many places, this is a, a bit of a um, topic du jour where everyone is kind of starting to embrace this idea of equity um, and not fully understanding and clarifying what it means. And I, and I would just say, I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Equity is both a personal journey um, and one that allows us to reflect and plan in different ways. And so, yes, of course, it's similar to equality, which you described, but equity does um, uh, represent something different. And it really kind of starts with this issue of systemic racism yeah. and the, the decisions and issues that I think are you know over a hundred years old have kind of led us to a place that really require us to to use a different lens and through the climate lens in particular, the reality is, I don't agree with this with the assertion that climate change is the big equalizer that everybody is affected. I think we know inherently that yeah. you no. Know, People, populations are affected differently. Yes, climate change does affect all of us, but it is disproportionate. So mm-hmm. if you think about um, very specific examples of, of where people live, their, the impact that they have in terms of air pollution, uh, the fact that they live in high hazard zones typically, simple things like um, where, where communities and where utilities typically put energy generation stations. Uh, they put them in, in communities of color and low income. This is the issue that really requires us to think about in a very, very um, direct way. And from, from my perspective and our department's perspective, centering our work around equity and ensuring that the solutions are equitable, that they, it's, you know, accessibility is one element of that, making sure that we are creating accessibility to all of our programs and services. But there's another dimension to this that I just wanted to share with you is that it isn't just about, um, identifying populations that have been historically um, underrepresented. Um, it's more, there is a symbiotic relationship too. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a biologist by trade. So there's this really cool term that I, that I use often called an ecotome. And when you think about ecosystems in general, as, as ecosystems kind of bump up against one another, there happens to be a place of overlap. And within that overlap, there are things that happen and occur and exist nowhere else on the planet, right? So it's a very unique space. Similarly, applying that to kind of the social lens, populations that have been living on the economic edge and continue to live on the economic edge have a lot of, lot of examples and a lot of insight that we all can learn from. Mm-hmm. And so it's creating a space in which we can ensure that we are prioritizing and focusing on addressing the inequities that exist today uh, and learning back from their experience and helping shape and cultivate what we do moving forward. I'm going to give you one very, very specific example about how this shows up in our work. Oftentimes, if you think about 
the types of services that we, we always say, yes, we want to do more energy efficiency and enabling more residents to have solar on their roof because it, it helps, um, it helps reduce, you know, your energy burden, how much money your, of your, of your income is going to our energy related sources. Yet the majority of programs and incentives and rebates are tied to home ownership. Well, mm-hmm. you think about over 50% of of our residents are not homeowners and they rent, you immediately disqualify them from those types of rebates and incentives. So it causes us to rethink in a very big way. Wait, these aren't the right, this is not the right program for the people that we need to be hitting and targeting. Similarly, we talk about energy burden and rather than energy efficiency, we talked about this earlier. Uh, if you think about energy burden, how do we levelize and make sure that those that are mo- the, of us that are most fortunate in our community are there's a proportionate proportionality there that um, if somebody has to live 30 miles away because it's all they can afford, they then have to drive into Boulder, and we're telling people, oh well, let's just figure out ways to um, require people to pay for parking so we can get fewer people driving in. When well, are you requiring people to um, someone to get to a bus station, pay to ride the bus, which is you know, I, we definitely want to support multimodal transportation um, and then figure out a way for them to get to the bus station, to their time, of, to their place of work. And we've created an inequity there. And so how can we support and think about our policies and programs that really address and try to, as I mentioned, identify inequities and then create accessibility and equity moving forward. And so I'll just stop there and say that it is such an important piece of the work we are doing. We don't have it all solved right now, but we I'm really proud of the work that the city organization has done by passing the racial equity plan, by really starting to identify those inequities within all of the work that we are doing through across all of the departments. And I'm just really eager to get to that place and allow people, look, I, I will just point out, um, as you know, as an old white guy, I have really benefited greatly by by being who I am and working in this space. And there are so many unbelievably brilliant and smart people in our community, and we want to give them the opportunity to show up and really provide the level of insight and expertise that they can provide into the space too. So, uh, I'll stop there to say it's such a critical piece. Yeah, it definitely is. And as we you kind of hinted at, the diversity of thought is, is very powerful. It allows you to kind of see things from another perspective. And that's what I love about talking to people from all different walks of life, even outside of the podcast. I mean, I just want to talk to everyone because everyone has a different perspective. So yeah, total total transition to just let's just talk about municipalization because it seems like one of the hot topics in Boulder climate talks and Boulder, obviously Boulder energy, that's what it is. So what's municipalization? What's the debate? Uh, you know, what went on with the vote last year? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to start with a bit of a provocative statement and then I'll Love it. Uh, kind of work down. I, my, here's the statement that the climate change is not the problem. And I'm pausing for dramatic effect right now. Dun, dun, dun. Um, it's deep. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and the reason I say that is that climate change is not a problem. It's a symptom of, of a number of problems. It's the fact that we lead unsustainable lifestyles and a changing climate is, is the symptom and result of that. Now, the reason that I say that is that I think 
it has led us, uh, us in that equation is here locally and, and practitioners in this space to really re-examine um, what are the levers that we should be pulling? What, how do we address this, this issue of um, climate, which is really this threat multiplier? How do we create courageous and visionary and collaborative solutions? And you know, one of the systems that we knew was so critical for us to tackle is the energy space. Mm -hmm. um, and when we think about energy, I use that to reference our electricity, our natural gas and our transportation. So energy is one big bucket. And within that bucket, electricity generation continues to be one of the critical um, components of our overall emissions. Yet it's the one that we don't have control over. So when you think about, oh, we just need to do more on electricity side, instead of saying, let's go address where the problem is, and that is the fact that we have a lot of fossil-based generation units burning coal and natural gas, we turn to what we can control and we say, we just have to use less of a dirty product. But the reality mm -hmm. is the coal plants are still belching out the pollution that they're always belching out. And so we said, you know what, if we're serious about climate change, if we're serious about doing something, then we need to look at a different scale. So municipalization is uh, by definition, um, just the act of, of a city taking over the electricity distribution system in order to be the retail electricity provider to its to its customers, to its to its community. And how is that different from like right now? Yeah. So right now we are served, we are in a state that is regulated. That means that there is a regulated monopoly, which is Excel Energy. And they have exclusive right to sell electricity to customers in their service territory. Excel mm -hmm. does work in, in eight states. They are, they are a big uh, regulated for-profit investor-owned utility. So because we have that regulatory environment in Colorado, you can continue to work on the on the demand side, getting people to use less, or you go to the state legislature and say, make the utility to do something different, or you can take this kind of nuclear option and say, in, sta in the state constitution, you have the ability to take over the electricity supply and be the retail utility provider. There are 29 munis or municipal utilities in the state of Colorado. So it's not unique. It's mm -hmm. that they were set up that way in the beginning. So municipalization is the act of going from being served by an IOU to, to taking over and running your own locally um, operated electric utility, nonprofit electric utility. City already runs a water, wastewater and stormwater utility. So it's not unique to us either. Um, we would just be adding electricity. This has been our analysis. This has been our, our effort over the past decade. Municipalization has been our attempt to break away from Excel and you know, we knew it would be hard. We knew it would be a huge lift. Um, Why? It's not Why? Because if the people it, speak, it happens, right? It's just you have to convince the people kind of thing? No, no, no. In fact, we've had a number of votes um, over a decade that have continued us moving in the direction of municipalization. The reason that it's hard is that you are taking away a business essentially from an investor and utility. And there is a legal fight. Uh, there is a technical fight. And there is a political fight to this. I think the majority of our residents believe that believe in the goals that we have. They just may not agree on the tactic to get there, that the city should be the utility Actually. provider. So the 10 years of work, I just want to stress this point, was not wasted. We learned so much about our system. We were able to 
push Excel in a pretty significant way at a state level. And I think this is really the key point here. If I was going to put a fine point in this, Ethan, um, tracking back to my earlier comments, it isn't about one city. The intention was if we could create a model where we municipalized and had the ability to buy the kind of power that we wanted as a city at the price that we wanted, there are huge economic savings to municipalization, by the way, mm-hmm. because you are buying directly from a wholesale market. So all of our analysis showed that environmentally, we could get to over 90% renewables on day one at a cost that was much cheaper from being served with Excel, um, but we're one city. But if we could do that, that model could be replicated by other cities who would go through a similar legal process to separate. Along the way, we continued to push Excel to be a better company. And so from my perspective, being the the staff person who worked on this the longest, it was always about the goals. It was always about getting to our energy related goals. And if we can do that with Excel and they're gonna change their entire system across the state, well, that affects a whole lot more people. Yeah. And so I think we've seen some of that play out over the past two years where we have some very aggressive climate policy legislation at the state level. Excel has just released their latest um, kind of projections about where they're going to be in 2030. And if, if you asked anybody um, whether or not you could believe Excel making an announcement that they were going to be uh, close to 85% carbon-free by 2030 and over 80% renewables in 2030, you, they'd think you were crazy. Mm-hmm. But this is the world that has shifted around us. And I think we have been partially responsible for that shift. So I just wanted to say that municipalization was not in my mind, um, just because we got to a vote last November where we chose to take a different course, it was not a failure. We learned so much and I think it, it's been really, really powerful to see how our community has kind of come together around this issue. Yeah, so, I mean, if you, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, and then turning to last November, uh, you know, the, the, the past year allowed us to sit down and negotiate in a different way with Excel. Um, and the result of that was a settlement agreement that, you know, arguably, I think some believe it it is a the the the, the right agreement. Um, some don't think it goes far enough, but it's a good framework for us to work directly with Excel as a partner. Um, and you know, we're a couple of months in. We have done a lot of work already, um, setting up a governance structure, really laying out some of the the key programs. And, you know, part of that agreement allows us to, to take off ramps if they are not meeting certain carbon reduction goals, if they are, if we just say, you know, this partnership isn't working, then we can go back to municipalization. But right now, that's our focus. That, that is our intention is to give it everything we got to work with Excel to make it an effective partnership. Yeah, I love the way you look at things. Your attitude and perspective on these complex issues is, is very interesting to me. Um, yeah, and I believe if you never give up on your goals, again, it, it, we always argue about how we get there. But if we do achieve this very important goal, which is creating this sustainable society, I think as long as we win, you know, it's fine. So I wanted to ask you about Boulder's Climate Mobilization Action Plan. What's what's going on with all that? So the CMAP, um, and I'll try to make this quick because I know we'll be running short on time here. Um, The CMAP was really the evolution of our climate work. um, And I've already hinted at a lot of it in our conversation. Originally, 
the idea is we develop a climate action plan and it's like the blueprint, right? Uh, we just do these things and we will we'll see the, the resultant impact in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and our tons going down. In 2015, we evolved that to our climate commitment to really start to recognize the systems that we needed to affect, starting to look at, you know, it isn't just about um, mitigating uh, climate pollution, but it's really figuring out how to recarbonize our soils, uh, putting, drawing carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it back where it belongs. And it's also recognizing that regardless of our mitigation strategies, we will continue to feel the impacts of climate change now and into the future. So resilience and adaptation have to be central to our work too. So uh, our climate commitment really recognized those issues and then in 2019, we really launched our CMAP, which is our Climate Mobilization Action Plan. And the reason that we changed it is mobilization was really the, the operative word there. Really taking the city out of the center of the equation, really um, looking to support and facilitate all of our community partners uh, in seeing themselves in climate action, really focusing on climate policy at a statewide level, looking at um, ways to really, really accelerate our work um, uh, you know, in the equity space, in the resilience space. And so CMAP was, we launched just before we went into lockdown with COVID, unfortunately, but it was really about mobilizing people. It was really about working with our community in a much different way. And so we'll be going to back to our city council here in the next couple of months with a repackaged set of goals and targets that really reflect the values that I think are really important to us. And, you know, look, there's a, a resonance in being bold right now and a, I think a determination to not go back to normal, I'm air quoting. Yeah. Um, and this is a bit of that post-COVID community dialogue on climate action priorities that we're going to be focused on. Yeah. Well, it's been really great to see how some a strong representative of the local government is really thinking big picture because these issues are really big picture. So I really appreciate you for that. And it's really great to hear from someone in the city saying, we're always thinking about how to spread our ideas or how to create more equity in just society in general. So I love that. I guess my last question for today is what advice do you have for like the youth in the city of Boulder? How, how do you think young people can get more involved in these issues? Cause we're the ones we're, we're fired up, man. We're ready to go. We need, we want to get this done. We got a future. Man. I love this question, Ethan. Thank you. I, uh, I got to tell you, um, it, it gives me so much hope when I see the, the insight, the thoughtfulness, the, the energy, the fire in our community's youth. We just before, actually just about a year ago, we held a youth climate summit. Um, and that was a session that the city wanted to host, not to talk at our youth, but to engage in a much different way, to recognize that our youth have so much to provide in this space, such good ideas. And part of this is just the reality that, you know, we find ourselves falling into this trap of, oh, we've tried that, that didn't work. Um, instead of saying, let's just reflect and allow the creative voices to show up and say, you know what? We, this is an issue that we are going to have to address. It's an issue that we, as the youth, uh, um, not just in this community, but every community, we're going to have to um, inherit this issue and figure out what we do with it moving forward. I mean, this movement that we've seen um, over the past couple of years is so incredibly powerful, and I am, I, I just get emotional about it. It's, it's really inspiring for me. 
I will re even reflect on the last two weeks where I was so fortunate to sit with a group of fifth, third, fifth, fifth, third through fifth graders at one of our elementary schools where we had students, their literacy on this issue, Ethan, was just extraordinary. They're talking about redlining and, and social equity issues and, and racial justice issues in the climate space and looking at ecosystems and local wow. foods and, and uh, decarbonizing our food systems. Very, very sophisticated thinking. Yeah. And it's just that evolution that inspires me so much. And so they, as youth, have already picked up on this. It's not just about change your light bulb. It's not just an issue of if you recycle more. It's really thinking about this systems level approach. And I am so proud of our community's youth. Um, and so the advice would be find your voice, mm -hmm. find ways to share your voice whether that's showing up at a city council meeting, whether that is joining the YOAB Youth, Youth Advisory Board, whether it's participating in the sessions and forums that the city put forward, finding a way for you to show up in this space. Again, you don't have to be a climate expert. You don't have to be an energy expert. You don't have to be a transportation expert. Bringing your talent, uh, whether it is in, in art or, or song or spoken word, or mobilizing in terms of showing up for, for protests. It is that voice that will create the systemic change that we need, not just in Boulder, not just in our state, in this country, but globally. Jonathan, it has been an absolute honor to speak with you today, man. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole thing again because there's just too many nuggets of good information in there, and especially that last story about the third to fifth graders. That struck a chord in my heart. That, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me optimistic. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Super fun, Ethan. Really enjoyed it too. Sorry I get on a roll on this stuff and I just I just keep ranting, but I appreciate you giving me an outlet. <laughs> no, no worries. Oh, the, whatever the opposite of an apology is what you should be saying. So All it's right. been a pleasure, man. I hope everyone cool. has a lovely day. Take it easy. All right. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Changing the Climate, a podcast hosted by Climate Change Realty, the most innovative real estate corporation ever conceptualized. Visit ccrboulder.com today.